millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Body Wrappers, Angela Luzio is happy to sponsor this episode of Conversations on Dance. Body Wrappers, Angela Luzio is known for its durable and soft total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. New to the Angela Luzio shoe collection is the Instant Fit 4-Way Total Stretch Canvas Ballet Slipper and the Instant Fit 4-Way Total Stretch Canvas Y Strap Half Sole. Make sure to try them on at your local dance retail store and see why they are called Instant Fit. And while you're there, take a look at Tyler Peck's beautiful and unique leotards that move perfectly with the body and won't ride up in the back. You may view the products at bodywrappers.com or at your favorite dance retail shop or online store. To review and buy the entire collection of Tyler Peck designs, go to danceworkcorner.com. This episode is brought to you by Words on Dance. For more information, visit wordsondance.org. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week, we are happy to be sharing with you a recording from our live event at SFMOMA last month. We were pleased to be able to sit down and talk with San Francisco Ballet principal dancer Sophia Silv as part of a live lecture put together by the San Francisco-based organization Words on Dance. We talked with Sophia about launching her career at only 14, her time dancing with the New York City Ballet, what brought her to San Francisco Ballet, and about her aspirations to be an artistic director. Just before we started recording, Words on Dance founder Deborah Kaufman introduced us to the audience. So thank you, Deborah, for that introduction. Uh, we would not be here, uh, not only here tonight, but uh, at the festival in general, had Deborah not so kindly offered her connections to the San Francisco Ballet. And as she said, we've uh, already done, I think, 19 interviews. We have a few more left to go. And all of those will be available on our website, conversationsondancepod.com, as well as anywhere you get your podcasts. That's iTunes or Stitcher, the like. So um, if you enjoy tonight's interview, you can catch it again, or um, many of the other uh, nearly two dozen interviews we'll have conducted over the past few days. Yes, we're very excited to be here. Well, thanks, thank you so much for joining us. It's your, your day off, right? It's your I only know. day off of, from what is 
surely a, an extremely grueling schedule right now. So we really appreciate having you. Pleasure. So uh, we thought we'd just start at the beginning. You know, you, uh, in your early years as a dancer, it was pretty evident that you had a great natural talent. And in fact, you joined a company as young as 14 years old. Right. So um, what were the, those early years like for you? And uh, how did it lead to a professional career so young? Well, I guess it would be called the definition of a bunhead mm-hmm. without knowing that you are one. Um, I guess I was just told that, yeah, I had talent, but I had to work hard. And getting a chance to work at 14 gave me the opportunity to be on stage. Mm-hmm. So my teacher at the time was like, well, I've, I think I've taken you as far as I can take you in terms of technique. I think at this point it would be good for you to have exposure. So off I went and never questioned it. That's just... You know, I guess being a dancer, you're supposed to dance and supposed to be on stage. Mm-hmm. So it was very simple. Yeah. Seems just like that. How did that come about, though? Were you auditioning? Or? No, actually, I was doing, um, because I'm coming from a very tiny private school uh, in Nice, in South of France, which mm-hmm. is like the armpit of the world. Uh, <laughs> my teacher was like, I think it would be good to do competitions just to see where you are in terms of nationally, right? Because right. uh-huh. you can only compare with your own school mm-hmm. if you're not part of a big you know, state company or school. So we did those just to kind of take the temperature. Right. And uh, at the age of 14, um, the director of uh, Call Through was in the jury mm-hmm. and got a special prize. And he was like, I'm, I'm creating, he was a choreographer at the time of that company. And he was like, I'm creating this new piece and she has to be <clears throat> the inspiration of the poet. She has to join the company. So he basically made it happen that's Mm -hmm. you know we never thought that I should have been working at 14 it's just sort of like the situation just yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. unfolded so you've said that um starting to your professional career at 14 is way too young and that children shouldn't do that (laughs) um you've already mentioned uh performing as a positive to starting so young but what other ways do you think positively and negatively did this affect your development as a dancer and as an adult well, the fact is that you may have one one on ninety nine percent that can handle that kind of pressure, and that maybe was one of them. Mm-hmm. You just realize in time that that's not something that I would recommend because right. it's just way too much pressure. Right. You go to school, you're homeschooled, you're taking private lessons to finish your school, you're going on stage. You, you basically have the pressure of an adult while you're still growing and figuring out who you are. Right. So, mm-hmm. I don't think it's an ideal education tool. But in my case, there was no other way. I mean, I wanted to be on stage. There was nothing else I wanted to do. So, um, and like the de- generation of today where you have so much more distractions, mm-hmm. you know, you had a book or you were on stage or you were studying. That's yeah. basically right. what you did. I mean, let's not forget. I mean, you know, I come from the generation of payphone. Feels like things <laughs> <now>, but, you <laughs> know, I used to, you know, look for a payphone. So right. it's a very different also time. Right. So... Looking at that uh, and being a teacher at the school that is attached to the company, um, you look at younger uh, kids today that have talent. Mm-hmm. It's rare, but you have them. And you consider that as, okay, having a trainee program is a great idea because mm-hmm. it's a bridge. You you still have your performance, but you still have your classes alone mm-hmm. in the morning. So I tend to go more for that and right. give uh, a chance to grow right. versus the other way. But yeah. you always have gonna, you're always going to have the rarity where it's like, oh, my God, ready to fly. Let's just do right. it. Right. But that's, you know, it's a very personal thing. You can't just make it as a general rule. Right. Right. 
So in terms of that pressure, how did you do with the pressure being so young, carrying that weight of you were doing triple bills every night? Yeah, I think I think I didn't know that I was, it was like, you know, you were doing all the main principal roles and then you came home and I was living with my grandmother and we had this cute little dog. So I guess I just <laughs> went home and be, you know, I was a 14 year old just going home, living with grandma. She was speaking Spanish to all those German people. It was kind of funny. It was just like a weird, you know. <laughs> Um, and she would tell stories about her time during the war. You know, it was kind of like a weird, it could have been like a movie mm-hmm. and you just didn't know you were in it basically. Huh. So the pressure was really just like, oh my God, I got to do that school. And I had this really cute German, um, student that wanted to speak French. So he would help me with math and science mm-hmm. and we would speak French. So that was kind of like the exchange in the, uh-huh. in the canteen of the opera house. <clears throat> um, so I had this like weird life but that's the life I knew Mm -hmm. so I couldn't compare to everybody else yeah my brothers and sisters were going skiing and stuff but that's not something I wanted to do anyway so I didn't feel like I was missing out so so I guess the pressure was just you realize later on when you know you look back and you go wow that was actually a lot of pressure Uh (laughs) but at the time you just you went in you put your makeup you did your warm-up and Mm. you went off you did your thing it was pretty simple Mm. So while you were still very young, you began dancing the works of George Balanchine. Mm-hmm. And a little while later, you would dance for the company he founded, the New York City Ballet. Right. Did you find that you ha- had an immediate affinity for the works, or was there a sort of adjustment to the different technical demands? No. So, you know, Patricia Neri is one of those Balanchine, a lady that sets works mostly in Europe, because you have a whole different market in the U.S. But she was the one that basically came to Karlsruhe, and she was like, you know, I'm doing... Uh, 40s, who cares, Allegro Brian, you're doing all of it. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, uh, and you got to go into a bigger company, you need to do all those roles. So she started to teach me. And for me, um, because my grandmother was a piano teacher, I guess I always had a, a very affinity for the music. Like for me, being musical was something that was kind of like breathing. It was like you couldn't be off. And Mr. Balanchine's work is very musical. So I always felt very comfortable, mm-hmm. even though there's sometimes you like there's like a step on each count. Mm-hmm. But it couldn't be any other way. Right. So for me, it was like... I. I kind of like these dude stuff. Like he, it, it swings well, you know, uh-huh. even though it's it can be classical. And Pat, you have to give it to her. I mean, you know, she will come in with, you know, the counts, the music. She would still do it. Mm-hmm. And then give you all the backstories of that, you know, Mr. B. Sometimes she will like stand on the corner of the room and goes, I'm talking to him. Yes. And you're like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. You know, uh-huh. somebody, you know, had... Something before the rehearsal. But, um, <laughs> so, and you know, at the time I didn't know about any of it. I was just like, whoa, she's something else, right? <laughs> like I couldn't put words. And then you find out that, you know, people do take stuff and, you know, they have all those kinds of visions. <laughs> but anyway, so she was, she was just, a, she was just a character mm-hmm. and she still is. Oh, yeah. yeah. We worked with her at Miami City Ballet and she would do that. She'd be like, Mr. B, tell me what to do, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and so once you don't know what's going on, you kind of go like, okay, Okay. I'll just just hang out until it's over. When when we worked with her, it was also her first year off point. Oh. She danced on point well into her 70s. I'm sure she was for that. Like, it's like, you know, you have to. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. No, I'm not putting it. Yeah, I saw her. She had like a couple, I mean, a bunch of hip surgery. Mm -hmm. And every time she comes back, she's like, she's working really hard to come back. And I'm like, you you don't have Have to to. go on stage, you know? She took class with us when she was doing, yeah. She used to say as well that she never felt like she was ready for her day until she'd done a triple pirouette. (laughs) 
Well, so. yeah, and then what happens the day it doesn't happen? <laughs> or it right? never happens. Guess it's done. Guess it's done. <laughs> so she was the one that spotted you and suggested that you audition for the Dutch National Ballet. Um, was that a company that you always had your eye on and were interested in dancing for? You know, I was so green. Mm. Like the expression of being so green that I didn't, you know, all I wanted to do was I wanted to dance. I, I didn't, I didn't have a title in mind. I didn't have a place in mind. I just wanted to dance. So for me, when she said Amsterdam, and then she goes, and then I'm going to Copenhagen. And so I started to look at the map going, well, right. yeah, that's okay. Uh, I didn't really have a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I come from a, a family of non-dancers. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, the exchange child at the clinic, you know, it's <laughs> like I don't belong to that family uh-huh. in some ways. So... <laughs> Um, we don't have this thing of like, you know, you know, the Paris Opera Ballet, this and the, you know, we don't have this culture. So for me, it was like, yeah, Amsterdam looks sure. good. They have a sure. good rep. Uh-huh. They do a ton of balancing. And I, I kind of felt like I like to do that stuff. That was really it. And I yeah. went to audition and the guy was like, oh, you, you're hired. And I was like, okay. Okay, here I go. <laughs> That's, you know, it was, it was really that simple. Right. And so, yeah. That's how it worked out. So what was your time like dancing with the company and how do you feel like it really shaped your career to come? Well, the company had what I call the broad rep, which mm-hmm. is they were doing all the major classics. Mm-hmm. We had Balanchine Works. Bill came in to work with us. So we had the full spectrum of, you know, the past, the present, the future. Mm-hmm. And um, my director of the time, Wayne Eagling, uh, kind of was like, she's got to do all this stuff. So he basically pushed me. I was doing... Uh, major roles as soon as I got in. I was there three days in the company and one of the principal got injured. So the scheduling guy comes up to me and he goes, well, one of our principal is injured. Can you do choleric tonight? <laughs> and I was like, sure. sure. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, what are you going to say? No. Were you 17 at this point? No, I was 15. 15. Oh, 15. Of course. I'd oh my just gosh. moved to Amsterdam. So had, oh my had you gosh. done um, choleric uh, in I'd Germany done choleric or? in Germany. Mm-hmm. So I'd done you choleric in Sanguinic. So I was like, yeah, I think I know. I can, I can, can whip that tonight. So, yeah. <laughs> So you, had, you were 14 and you had done choleric and sanguinic. Yeah, yeah. With, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, you don't, you don't think like that's something you should do when you're a little bit more mature, sure. like you have a little bit more to say. I was just like, I, sure. I can be choleric. I, I can, you know, mm-hmm. my grandma's Spanish. You know, I, I have that <laughs> blood somewhere. So, uh-huh. yeah, you just, I just didn't question. It was like, if you trust me to do it, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. It was very simple. I, I never really had more thoughts, and maybe that was the saving grace right. yeah. of it all. You stayed in the company for over 10 years. It, it was mm-hmm. obviously uh, a really... Yeah, Wayne was very good to me. Basically, it was like, you know, I can't have you as a principal. You're too young. I have all those principles I need to be there. And I, I was totally, you know, I understood the hierarchy of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it just takes time. But I was doing the work. So I did all my classics, and I was learning. It was the first time I was learning also full length. So my first full length was Cinderella from... Um, Ashton mm. and Michael Sums, for those of you who know, who was like hell on legs, basically. Mm-hmm. Mean, 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 mean. But, um, and so I was doing The Fairy Godmother, The Season, and Cinderella, and I would just get confused because it was just so much material to remember right. that you would get, and you would like, do I get the pumpkin? Do I throw the pumpkin? <laughs> uh, where else is coming in? No, no, now you have the broom. So, and he was like, you must know your part. And I was just like, uh, I'm trying. And so um, I've, had, I've had it a little bit the hard way, but eventually um, I paid my dues, as we say. So right. I did my shows, and a very cute story from him was that 
Weeks later, I get a, a, a letter in the mail from England, mm-hmm. blue paper, Michael Sons, and I was like, oh, dear. And um, I opened the letter, and it's 10 pages of <sighs> handwritten corrections of my performance. <gasps> and I was like, well, for somebody who really wanted me to cry, <laughs> you did spend the time over tea to actually give me my correction. So I thought it was quite sweet. And I've always kept that. Every time I was doing Cinderella, I had the letter from Michael Son, so bless him. So so I've had a few of those people that were like, you must do better Mm -hmm. because you're good. You must do better. And you're like, yeah, I just forget. (laughs) I just don't know what throw the pumpkin do. That's, you know, big deal. Right. So... Yeah. So, yeah, so I did all that. And Wayne was like, you know, Soph, as long as you do your shows in Amsterdam, because the Dutch National Ballet also tours in Holland because mm-hmm. you, you're a state-funded company, unlike America, um, you have to go around. And so you take the bus and you perform and you come back and you do it again the next day. And that's twice a year. And so, um, yeah, I did all my classics and then I did it everywhere. So it was kind of like um, I'm... I'm good. And then I started to be invited to go guesting in other places. And same again, it was like, as long as you're not injured, you do your job here, you can go. Mm-hmm. So it was a, I mean, it was a pretty simple deal. Right. Well, in 2003, you did make the decision to leave the company right. to join the New York City Ballet, but it wasn't uh, an easy decision. You did hesitate initially. For sure. Um, <laughs> obviously, there were a lot of pros and cons both ways. Um, mm-hmm. So what was that decision-making process like for you? What was going through your head? Well, I think I was in my late 20s, um, and I was very comfortable in Amsterdam. Like, you know, I was established, I had my spot. I, you know, everything was very uh, easy in a way. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to move to <coughs> America, it's probably the time to do it because right. otherwise you just it just becomes too late. Right. And so the fact that this opportunity came, I just had to think, you know, do I sell my house? Do You know, it's kind of like, you know, you have a lifetime contract. I know it's a weird concept in America, but in Europe, once you've worked in a company for two or three years, they, they basically can't fire you unless you've murdered somebody. <laughs> so, you know, um, so it's, there's a job security, there's a European sense of uh, future. And for me, America was kind of like this the wild west like i was like what is this place so being at at city ballet as a guest for three months gave me a taste and it was great but i was like i don't know if this is what i want to do as a daily life Mm -hmm. and so that's why it was a difficult decision because it's like all of a sudden you move your entire life it's not just your career but it's also your life and so and i did have a life too so it was like okay how much of that do i want how much of that do i not want And then you, you you know you look at the you know when you buy products and it says best before yeah <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have the shelf life and you go I guess if if I have to do this and you know the thought of being in the house where Balanchine choreographed with Jerry felt like maybe that's the right move and so and Wayne was leaving so there was a lot of stuff that was like pointing out in, in, that, that, in that direction and I could have stayed but it was like maybe I should just give it a chance and see mm. and here I am. And it, We will return to conversations on dance in a moment, but first we want to tell you about Dimensions Dance Theater of Miami. Following its debut in 2016, Dimensions Dance Theater of Miami has quickly made a name for itself as a promising new ballet company with a dazzling repertoire reflective of the vibrant Latin culture of its home city of Miami. June 26th and 27th, the company will be making its New York City debut at the Joyce Theater, followed by a performance at the Jacob's Pillow Inside Out series, a free outdoor performance on June 29th. At the Joyce, the company's diverse program includes Gerald Arpino's 
sensually charged light rain, and Acephorus, a striking sculptural work created by rising choreographic talent Ariel Rose of Miami City Ballet. A triple bill at the pillow includes an excerpt from Light Rain, Acephorus, and another company premiere by Rose, Vow, a site-specific work originally commissioned by Miami City Ballet that will be performed on stage for the first time. You can help support this young company's summer tour now by visiting youcaring.com and search Dimensions Dance Theater of Miami. There you will also find ticket and performance information. That's youcaring.com and search Dimensions Dance Theater of Miami. If you have an event or performance that you are looking to promote on Conversations on Dance, go ahead and email us for more information at info at conversationsondancepod.com. So what was the adjustment like for you going to New York City Ballet in terms of style and workload? But the workload was crazy. Mm. Uh, at that point, City Ballet was still run by the schedule of Mr. Balanchine. So we had a winter season, a spring season, Saratoga for three weeks and touring. And so basically, uh, when they hired me as a guest, you had a list of all the ballets that were going on for that spring. And there were like 38 ballets and I had done 20 of them already. Mm-hmm. So basically, they give you a rep of stuff. And once you do that rep, that's basically that's your rep. That's, mm-hmm. that's what you're going to be doing. So the first year was a lot of like uh, stuffing rep down Uh so it was it was tough (laughs) because basically uh every week you would have four different programs going on and then the week another one and then it would come back again so you'd be rotating so it was hard to adjust to that and then you have the layoff where you do nothing or Mm -hmm. they don't give you anything then you put in your rehearsals i mean it was a whole other world complete other world and of course a lot of that rep the dancers that have been there for a long time they know it inside and out they do it all the time oh yeah they see the costume in the dressing room they go oh yeah five six seven eight nine ten (laughs) it's kind of like they just don't think anymore and it's a real city ballet because that's what they do all the time that's their rep Mm -hmm. the same way we would do the Giselle and Swan Lake would be like that's the production and that's what they do with Jerry and because it's 20 or 30 minute ballet you have much more options so so yeah it was a lot of uh, brain work the first year for sure Right. So after um, five years with the company, mm-hmm. now in your 30s, you decided to make another career change and come to San Francisco Ballet um, in pursuit of some more contemporary reps. So why did you feel like that was something that was missing from your career? So uh, what was missing at City Ballet was I was doing all the really, really hard stuff. Mm-hmm. And at some point I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to squeeze myself like a lemon uh-huh. and then there's going to be no juice because we had the Diamond Project uh, twice while I was around, which is, it was every three years, uh, Irene Diamond had left this massive endowment for new works. And so that's when Alexa Ratmansky did Russian Season, uh, Chris Wilden did After the Rain. We, so we had all those new ballets, and I, kinda, I was like, I miss having new people works. alive to also do stuff, because otherwise right. you kind of feel like you're always dusting off stuff, which is great. Mm-hmm. But at some point, it's also, what are we doing today, right? right? So San Francisco seemed to be like the right place mm-hmm. after City Ballet, and I also wanted to teach at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I, it was like, maybe it's time for me to start looking elsewhere and see if I can do both. Mm-hmm. And I got lucky. I got to be a dancer and faculty of the school at the same time. Did you start that position straight, straight away? away? Wow. That was, that was the key. I mean, you know, when you put like positions, like if you have a few offers, mm-hmm. the teaching was the key that right. I was like, I want to do that. Also, because I felt like being a good teacher takes time, the same way it takes a long time to be a good dancer or a good choreographer. And for me, I didn't want to be in the position of 
retiring and go, oh, now I'm going to teach. Like, mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to do that. And funny enough is that by doing that, you keep teaching yourself. And I think that's why I can still stand. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to, going to talk about. How does that affect um, what you're doing? Do you, do you find that through teaching children, you stumble upon new uh, revelations that you can take into your own dance? Oh, absolutely. Well, my eyes have become so sharp that I, I almost don't have to see people. I can see people off their leg or off the music from the corner of my eyes, <laughs> and I'm blind as a bat. So it's kind of interesting <laughs> to have that, you know, motion mm-hmm. a little bit. But it has helped me, and it also has helped me survive, you know, why I'm doing this and why it still is so special. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, it brought back all the right reasons of why I'm a dancer in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I'm loving being on the other side because it's about them and not about me. Right. So it gives me a break. And um, and I love to see there's a lot of the school kids that are now company members or elsewhere in the world. Like the uh, Kenya- Canadians were here for Nijinsky, and you have so many kids that come and say, hi, and you're like, you're like, oh dear, I gotta gotta pull it up. You know? <laughs> it's like, oh my god, how, how many years ago was this? So, uh, so it's very nice to see uh, offsprings that way. Like you've, you know, I, I was obviously just a very tiny portion of their uh, teaching course, but it's like I was part of that. So right. I'm very proud of that. Right. So, so San Francisco gave me all that, and yeah. I'm forever grateful that I was able to do that. Right. Yeah. What about being in San Francisco Ballet has contributed to your great longevity? You've already been dancing professionally for 27 years, 10 of which Mm -hmm. have been here. What about this company in particular has helped aid that? I think Helgi's been very um, cool about letting me be. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes I'm I'm, I'm kind of like a free, what do you call that, like electron, you know, it's like it's, you can control me to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but then I got to do my thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he's got that. Like, he's just like, I know she's going to be there. She's going to perform. She's going to do everything. But everything else, I do my own schedule with the school. I mean, it's, it's so I think that the freedom has been really helpful. And we've agreed on the stuff I dance, the stuff I don't dance. So that's what I mean by the right. freedom, too. I think he's been actually very kind that way of going, yeah, I can work with you. You can work with me. And uh, that's the deal that we've had. And so I think that that has been key for me, keeping on going. And when it comes to teaching and injury, like I said, looking at other people and teach, you also teach yourself all the time. Right. And you discover that if you go back to the basic, you know, the wheel is always going to be round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even you want to think of any other ways, you just go back to basics mm-hmm. and you make it. And that Unbound Festival was a real revealing moment. Like, can I make it through this? Yeah. with what we had to do, and, and I made it. Yeah. <laughs> so it works. Oh. So what are your some of your other keys to longevity? You take very good care of your body you know, to help prevent injuries. You're also vegan. Yeah. Um, what is it about your regimen that you feel like really helps to fuel your dancing and help you helps to get you continue? Well, there's one aspect that's physical, for sure. Obviously, like I said, you know, go back to basics of facing the bar in a first position, in a correct first position. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's hard to achieve when you've been dancing a lot or choreographing a lot and trying stuff. So going back to that and not moving forward until you've <laughs> accomplished that. Mm-hmm. And having a life is important. I think also keeping your brain fresh. Um, so, yes, I'm vegan. I have a great partner and I have animals that keep me alive (laughs) so um, and I try to make time for them too because all of a sudden it's just it's about them Mm -hmm. right and so um, I think that's been the secret of 
why I'm still enjoying what I do because I also take time. I also want the time away from all of it so I can go back in and go, okay, I'm, now I'm a dancer again. But then I go home and and I'm a mommy of two doggies and lizards and <laughs> lots of cleaning and, uh, <laughs> and I love it. Mm -hmm. So that's probably what works for me. Yeah. So even at this point, you continue to accomplish new things. You um, debut in new roles. You just did uh, Siren in Prodigal Son for mm -hmm. the first time fairly recently. And you have these big new premieres for the Unbound Festival. But uh, how do you approach these performances differently from the way you might have earlier in your career? Well, I think when it comes to Prodigal, it's something that um, actually I was originally casted for it at City Ballet and then it never happened. Mm -hmm. But so I kind of remembered like the whole thing of the cape and the stories and Karen von Arroldingen was still alive, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've worked for, I mean, Karen was the one who taught me violin and that was her aria. Like mm -hmm. I've had original people telling me right. uh, how the step was, how it came about and the stories of about Mr. Balanchine cooking meatballs and, you know. Uh, <laughs> so you kind of go back into like, oh my God, like I've done a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I go back into that bank of information quite a bit. And I think it takes me to a place where it's like, uh, I can really enjoy this now mm -hmm. because I know what it's supposed to be and that's right. going to be my interpretation. And I try to also take always whatever the role is, but also make it my own without being like, this is sort of doing the siren, but right. this is my siren. This is what I think Balanchine would have liked. Right. And so when it comes to new stuff like that, even though, uh, you know, I should have probably done the siren 20 years ago, but here we go. It's my premiere here. Mm -hmm. And you approach it that way and you go, that's my opening. This is what I think he would have won. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I try to always go back to that. And then you have choreographers who walk in and they're like, can you do this? Can you do that? And you just basically collaborate with them. And mm -hmm. that's been very nice to be able to do that again. Mm. Right. So you've also um, hinted at the possibility of maybe becoming an artistic director someday. Mm -hmm. So um, what do you feel some of your goals would be to positively impact a company? Well, I do think the beauty of ballet uh, you know, Mr. Balanchine used to say that the world is not a safe place for ballet. And to a lot of degrees, I agree with him. Uh, I would like to create a world where ballet would be in a safer place, meaning you would have to nurture the dancers with work that keep them as a very good level technically, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also challenge them also in their brain on, okay, what else can I say about the world, about me, about anything with my medium, which is ballet. Mm -hmm. And so you can only do that when people have their technique down mm -hmm. so clear that it's like you don't have to think, oh, my God, am I going to manage those two pirouettes? Right. Mm -hmm. Am I going to be able to lift that girl? And so I'd like to create that where dancers are like, this is, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. I don't have to talk about it. This is who I am. I'm a dancer. So um, that's what I would like to create. And being an artistic director, in my view, or any director of, you know, whether it's ballet organization a firm you know you also have to be a little bit like the mothership meaning like it's about the organization and the dancers uh, the same way that's what how i teach mm -hmm. when i teach the school my class is about them and what they need mm -hmm. what i think they need and not about me as a teacher showing them i actually rarely show much i indicate on the upper level right um, and I like the idea of being like the uh, the maker of that world. And maybe because I was brought up with people like that, like directors were like, okay, I think you'd be great in this. Mm 
I don't think you want to do that. I think that'd be a great role for you. And so I would like to be able to look at an, a ballet company today and say, this is what the dance community needs to see. This is what the world needs to see and be able to be the creator of that. Right. There's a, a real scarcity of female voices at the, um, mm-hmm. the at the helm of these companies. I think in America, in the top 20 biggest companies by budget, two are led by women. So what do you think will happen when we have more female voices leading the way? You know, I'm, I may be a little politically incorrect here. For me, it's not so much about gender. Mm-hmm. For me, it's all about talent. Do you have what it takes to do the job? I don't really care if you're female, male, how well you identify. Can you do the job? Do you have a vision? And do you really know the craft? Mm -hmm. What really irritates me is when people walk into a room and they have no clue, no idea of the craft, or they have an idea of what they think it should be. That just drives me up to the wall. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's not so much do I want to see more women. I would like to see more talented people with a vision. Yeah. (laughs) Period. Yeah. (laughs) The rest, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. You can be Mm -hmm. blue, yellow, brown. Uh, I don't care, as long as you have what it takes to lead. And vision is everything. So mm-hmm. if it comes in the form of a male or form of a female, whatever. But mm-hmm. give me that vision. Because right. that's, that's the tough thing today. And how do we look at the future of ballet in this generation where there's so much more destructions? Right. So unfortunately, we have to wrap up soon, but we just wanted to ask you one last question about the Unbound Festival and Mm -hmm. what ballets you will be dancing in and how the experience has been for you as a dancer. So we've opened so far Alonso's Mm -hmm. uh, new new piece, uh, Collective Agreement, and we've opened uh, David Dawson Animanimous so far. Um, Well, Alonso and I wanted to work together for a very long time. So the fact that this has actually come to a full circle Mm -hmm. has been quite amazing. Um, I love the man. I mean, I just have a lot of respect for who he is. Um, And the way he's uh, approached the dancers uh, as a classical company, you know, dancers are kind of like being told what to do. And so Mm -hmm. they kind of wait in the corner and he's like, guys, I've given you structure, material, give me something. So it it kind of forced people to come out of their shell that way. And that was nice to see, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, people that make you grow up a little bit. Uh, David was kind of like, my God, we've known each other. 20 plus years we used to dance together back in Amsterdam so David Dawson and Aaron Watkins who's the director of Dresden Mm -hmm. were my two boys in Pas de Trois in Argonne Uh. Mm -hmm. so you know we're going way back (laughs) so it was very very um, fulfilling to see David so accomplished so young and still wanting that beautiful turnout position you know all those things that you like drool over as a classical dancer going oh my god lines feet legs um and so and somebody who really had a clue i mean he came in and we made anima animus in basically 10 working days wow and that's like i don't think david has ever done that he was like i don't know if i'm gonna make this Uh and it's like it's america you'll make it work yeah it's just we all make it work here and the last one i'm opening uh coming up this week is ed liang and um I'm looking forward to all of it. Uh, Ed and I go back uh, City Ballet time. Mm-hmm. So it's been nice to see him as a dancer. He got, he's gone to NDT in Holland. 
and then took over as the director while choreographing. So it's nice to see all those people like, like you know, starting to be in position and doing stuff. So, so I've had a very lucky unbound experience mm-hmm. or unleashed or whatever we should call it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these are the three ballets that I'll be in. And I'm wonderful. Well, thank well, you thank so much you. for joining us tonight. You're and very thank you welcome. Thank you for coming out to listen. Thank really you so much. for joining us this week. We are back from San Francisco and recorded a mass of 26 episodes that are waiting to be published on your feed. Subscribe now on iTunes to receive notifications of new episodes when they are published. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for some behind-the-scenes content and new episode alerts. If you like what you heard today, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. It really helps our podcast grow. Thank you for listening. See you next week on Conversations on Dance. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.